Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 523. I got to spend about seven hours on Royal Caribbean's Icon of the Seas brand new cruise ship, and I wanted to share with you my thoughts on this very limited preview of Icon. Here we go. It's pretty incredible to think that Icon of the Seas is finally here. I've only been writing about Icon of the Seas for years. I've been talking about it, been excited about it, but finally got a chance to go on board. Royal Caribbean invited me to go on for the day. It was a nine to four kind of situation in which we got to preview the cruise ship, which at the time was still getting a few last minute tweaks and some of the things being set up on there. There were still contractors on board putting out some of the finishing touches on some of those venues that were there, but you kind of got a sense of what the ship was all about. And don't worry, I'll be back on board Icon of the Seas actually this coming weekend, and then again for the first revenue sailing for the inaugural voyage. So plenty more icon to go. So I'm not ready to jump into any conclusions yet, but I wanted to share some of my feedback, some of the things that really stood out to me about Icon of the Seas and being on there and being able to preview those things. If you haven't seen it yet, we have a full walkthrough tour of Icon of the Seas on our YouTube channel, Royal Caribbean Blogs, so check that out. So walking through the ship, when you board it, you board right into the Royal Promenade, and bam, you are face to face with the Pearl. And the Pearl is really a great example of what Royal Caribbean is looking to do with Icon of the Seas. They want you to have moments on there, wow moments, that really capture your imagination and make you stop in your tracks and go, holy smokes, this is really incredible. And the Pearl was the first thing that you there. It's the focal point of the Royal Promenade. And that's what Royal Caribbean wants. I mean, it serves two purposes. First of all, there's a functional one. It holds up two decks above it. But from a guest standpoint, it's really there to be that first wow moment you have when you walk on board the ship and provide you with a larger than life, I can't believe it's on a cruise ship kind of experience there. There was a lot of speculation in the months and years leading up to Icon, what the Pearl was. I think Royal Caribbean probably milked that a little more than they needed to. But nonetheless, it's a beautiful piece of artwork. It's absolutely great to walk through and experience. And when you stand inside the Pearl and look around you, it's a really, really neat experience over there. But the Promenade in general is impressive. Now, I've been on plenty of Royal Caribbean cruise ships with the Royal Promenade. This is not a new concept. But like so many things on Icon, Royal Caribbean has taken some of its tradition and evolved it and moved to the next generation. The two-deck high Royal Promenade. And we kind of seen this before, the Royal Esplanade on the Quantum Class ships. But it's a full Promenade that goes end-to-end. And I really love the fact that there's, first of all, lots of natural light here on the promenade. Royal Green built in windows, make sure that you'd have natural sunlight. One of the overarching themes is they wanted you to have more of an outward facing experience. With the Oasis class ships, everything was inward facing, right? And you could go like days without ever seeing the outside or the ocean if you ever went up to the pool deck. And with Icon, they wanted to change that. And it's really nice having glass walls located right in that area as soon as you walk on board. It's a really, really nice space. Now, one of my questions early on about the promenade is going to be, what's it like with guests on board when the entertainment's going on? Royal Caribbean wants a lot more energy in the Royal Promenade. So you're going to see a lot more venues. You've got dueling pianos, the pub, scooter bars, spotlight karaoke, among others. And that's going to add a lot more. Essentially, think of the Royal Promenade. If you want to put this, again, I hate to continue to, you know, compare this to Oasis class ships. But if you take the Royal Promenade on the Oasis class and then take on deck four, which is, you know, the entertainment area, kind of combine them together and a little bit of the quantum class, you essentially end up with a promenade there. And it's really nice, really nice space overall. 
And I love the fact that Realtor has also taken Cafe Promenade and evolved that into Pearl Cafe. A lot more choices there. It's a really beautiful space. I can really see myself hanging out and enjoying that quite a bit. So the Promenade is an early win, and I'm looking forward to spending a lot more time there, especially in the evening hours. Moving on to Surfside, which is the new young family area on the back of the ship. It kind of resembles, in terms of general layout, the boardwalk in the Oasis class, but that's where the comparisons end. It's a vastly new, different neighborhood in that. And there's a lot to do here, but what really stood out to me more than anything, obviously, I am not the target audience necessarily in terms of not, not a you know seven-year-old child who's been spending a lot of time here, but I loved the amount of dining choices. I think that's really going to be the sleeper hit of Icon of the Seas is the amount of dining choices you have here. You have Surfside Eatery, you've got Surfside Bites, Lemon Post Bar, Pier 7. There's a lot of both complimentary and included restaurants, and that's really neat to check out. Pier 7 is actually only cost you money if you're over the age of 12, and it serves breakfast all day. I, I just love some of these choices that Royal has made here with Surfside. Now, obviously, the main reason to go to Surfside is because you got kids who are going to spend time, you know, in the pool, in Flash Away Bay, Baby Bay, whatever the case would be. But obviously, it's also home to one of the two pools that faces the the back of the ship. This is something Royal Group has never done. I remember seeing, you know, Princess cruise ships having pools on the back and many other lines as well. Royal's never done that before, but we have that here with Surfside. And I think for families, I mean, I only regret my kids aren't, you know, four years younger to be able to take advantage of this. Because back in my day, having just, you know, H2O Zone or Splash Away Bay was a big deal. So this is going to be just an amazing option for families that are out there who have kids definitely under the age of six. If you have seven or eight-year-olds, maybe even a nine-year-old, they could still make it fly. But it's a really great area having all that space, all those you know, aquatic adventures for them. There's a great play area as well that's dry. I, I really think young families are going to find a lot of reason to enjoy this space. I think if there's a neighborhood that surprised me the most, it was Central Park. You know, listen, Central Park is not a new concept, but on a waste class. So I was ready to kind of write off the whole space, quite frankly. But then I saw the flow of it, and I didn't realize how much difference it could really make, especially with the little tweaks. Like, there's no rising tide bar in Central Park. And by removing that, you kind of open up the landscape a little bit more. And putting a zoomie in the park, which, by the way, is an absolutely beautiful space. You've got Lou's Jazz Club, which I'm looking forward to checking out, seeing what it's like. I'm not the world's biggest jazz club fan. When Oasis Clashship still had the Jazz on 4 venue, I would go there. We would probably make an effort to stop by, you know, on a 7-night cruise once or twice for maybe about an hour or so just to mix things up. But it was never our go-to space. But I like that this seems like it's going to have a lot more energy to it. It's a really big venue. And I'm really looking forward to checking out what that's all about over there. And then you have the Empire Supper Club, which is located, uh, it's more inside of technically Central Park, but however you want to label it. This is the new Supper Club experience. It's a formal experience. You need to wear a jacket. It is like a three-hour meal. I have this booked for the inaugural sailing, so obviously I didn't get a chance to try this on my seven hours I was on board Icon, but the venue is really pretty. Um, I, I don't know yet about the food and, and what everything else is going to be like, but I was pretty impressed by that. But I think speaking of being impressed, the Aquadome definitely stood out as the neighborhood that truly, well, borrow a phrase, rocked my socks. I don't think anybody says that anymore, but it's an appropriate phrase for this section. All the way in the forward and the top deck, and the Aquadome, obviously, is where you'll find the Aqua Theater. And what's interesting, kind of ironic, if you will, is the Aqua Theater was the least interesting part of this whole part. I mean, obviously, there is going to be the Aqua shows in here, which are really cool, 
but I love how Royal said, okay, let's put an indoor aqua theater, but let's expand that and do more with it. You have the Overlook, and the Overlook is the new area on the front. So basically, it's behind the Aqua Theater, if that makes sense. All the way up against that glass dome. Really pretty area. There's a bar out there, which I think was a really nice choice. You have those pods. You can kind of hang out in there. I think it's a really nice place to go hang out on a sea day. It reminds me a lot of the Eden on Celebrity Cruise Ships, without, with far less plants, for that matter. But it's definitely, I think, some place I want to go when maybe my wife wants to read a book where I want to go do some work, but I want something a little quieter, maybe then, you know, Pearl Cafe or somewhere else, the pool deck. And I, I love this, just the idea of it. It's a really pretty area. And then you have the Aquadome Marketplace. And of all the places I could eat lunch during my visit, I ate at the Aquadome Marketplace. I had tested out or ate at the test kitchen at Royal Caribbean headquarters months ago when Royal Caribbean first uh, let us know about the idea. And the Aquadome Market is a food hall, essentially. There are four or five stations that you can choose from. There's a Mediterranean, there's Asian, there's a crepe station, there's a salad station. And the idea here is you get kind of quick grab-and-go type food. Uh, it's it's all made for you on the spot. It's not, it's not fast food. It's not like prepackaged or anything like that. But um, th at the time, when I went through the test kitchen, I thought it was a great idea. And I absolutely love this idea here. My only concern about the aqua dome marketplace is going to be how fast it could be i mean i could definitely see lines developing over here because it's not prepackaged, because it's included and because it offers a good variety of food i think it's gonna be very popular i think royal caribbean is going to have a big hit on its hands with it but by the same token that's going to be the double-edged sword of it's very popular but also i can see lines developing over here now listen i was there on you know the day i was there there was absolutely nobody there uh, so there was no lines, but that'll be a place I'm going to be curious to see how the lines develop and kind of check out because it looks really, really neat. Now, up at the top pool decks, you've got Thrill Island, you got Chill Island. Thrill Island is the water park primarily. There's also, of course, Fuller Rider and there is the mini golf. But I think when you think of Thrill Island, you're thinking about the water park there. And it's incredible to think about that there is there are six slides. That's not just a number. It really makes a difference because... Obviously, Royal Caribbean has had up to three slides on other ships, but six just makes it feel like, honestly, like a water park. I know that's a bit of a marketing term. You know, we're probably the first water park at sea, but six slides is going to be a major home run with my kids. Like, that is like, you know, not just, oh, it's another home slide. I think the repeatability factor is going to be huge with this, and uh, it's just, I think it's very popular as well, but... The fact that it's there, um, I was really impressed by the slides and how cool it was and uh, being able to see all of them. Um, I'm not sure that I'll do every single one. Like, there's a drop slide. That's not my favorite on Perfect Day Coco Key. But the fact that they have all those things are really neat. There's also the Crown's Edge, which, of course, is the ropes course, we'll call it that. I don't know what else you call the Crown's Edge, in which you kind of go on this course at the end. You got to uh, glide down, if you will, while being suspended over the side of the ship. I'm not sure how I feel about that personally. It's not my, my favorite thing in the world, but hey, it is what it is. We had our second meal here at Base Camp, which is in Thrill Island. Base Camp is a combination specialty and complimentary restaurant. There's a few things that are included, like a hot dog, warm pretzel, and tater tots. And then other food here costs extra. They have waffle chicken nuggets, Wisconsin cheese curds, a grilled chicken sandwich, smash burger. I went for this chicken sandwich. I mean... The reason why people would say, well, why would people ever eat here when you've got all this other food on the ship that's included? It's about convenience. It's located right 
in Thrill Water Park, and for some people, they're willing to pay for that right there. I mean, the freebies, the warm pretzel bites, my kids want to go there like every single time. Uh, so that's <laughs> that, that's a home run for them off the bat. But again, like so many things on Royal Caribbean ships, it's always about the choice, whether you want to go here or go somewhere else to get that food. Um, the Windjammer, by the way, speaking of food, I walked through it. If you blindfolded me and dropped me in the Windjammer and Icon, I wouldn't be able to tell you. That. I'd probably tell you, oh, no, this is Wonder of the Seas. It looks exactly like it. Really impressive. Lots of space. That's always important because that was one big change Royal Caribbean made with the Wonder of the Seas was to greatly expand the Windjammer there. And that's a huge difference. One change Royal Caribbean made literally in like, I think it was, they had made the change while I was still on board the ship. But they changed the adults-only area. So there is no solarium on Icon. Instead, there is an adults-only area at the hideaway. Originally, it was supposed to be Cloud 17, which is located in Chill Island. But Rel decided to flip that a little bit. And Cloud 17 is now just an open area. They're making it for all guests. And instead, the hideaway is going to be now the place for, for adults that are 18 and above. And I'll have a beach club vibe, or I Las Vegas pool party vibe, the DJ, hot tubs, bar, and lounge space. The interesting thing about the hideaway and this change, first of all, this is a very last minute change uh, that they made there in and of itself is an interesting change. Number two is going to be how it's going to play. You know, the solarium has always been number one on the front of the ship. The solarium has always been usually enclosed, although not on all ships like the Voyager class, it's completely open. But I think the biggest concern most people have at this point is shade because there's no shade in the hideaway other than if you sit kind of near the bar area. Um, it feels like even on ships that don't have an enclosed solarium, there's a lot more shade factor. And more importantly, because many of them are enclosed, they can control the the temperature in there. I mean, I, I kind of go back and forth on what I think about the solarium. Number one, I've never been a solarium fan. And what I mean by that is I've never been somebody who spent a lot of time in the Solarium or really got out of my way to hang out there. Of course, I've got kids. So for most of my cruising career, going to the Solarium has never really been an option for us because like, kids have been too young to be like, okay, mommy and dad are going to the Solarium. You guys go do something else. We're not quite there yet. There's that aspect to it. Number two, I've never really personally felt that strongly about having an adult-only area. Real Caribbean being a family cruise line, you know, it's just never really bothered me to the point that I really needed to quote-unquote escape from that. So I truly admit I'm not necessarily the, the top use case. What's interesting about the hideaways, it seems like Royal Caribbean wants to change up a little bit, if you will, the adult-only area. And I'm not sure that's necessarily exactly what Royal Caribbean wants. I'm, this is my, my personal opinion based on what I'm seeing here. By making the hideaway the adult-only area, it certainly matches up with also their idea of the hideaway beach over Perfect Day at Coco Key it does only beach area over there. And that has a lot more energy to it. I think Royal wants to move away from this idea that adults only means a library, essentially quiet, reserved, uh, off to the side, that kind of thing. I don't think that's really the vibe that Royal Caribbean wants because while there are some adults that like that, there are also some adults who like to enjoy a little more energy, not necessarily a party. It doesn't have to be the red party by any means. I think they're trying to kind of balance that some adults want to have a fun time because they're there with other adults to enjoy the same kind of fun they might otherwise have elsewhere on the pool deck in this case, but without, of course, the kids there to, I don't say ruin it, but to be in the way or to simply be there. Um, you know, again, if you're going to uh, Las Vegas and you go to one of the pool parties there, that's the vibe 
And that's kind of the interesting thing that they're looking for. Um, you, I know there's a bigger debate here about, you know, what the role of an adults-only area should be and, you know, how much energy or not there should be. But to me, this seems like Royal wants to go in that direction. Will it be successful? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, yeah, and by the way, I am not necessarily the big party pool kind of guy. That's not my, see, I never go to the red party as an example. Um, but I also think that having again, like, Hey, this should be like a library. It's quiet and it's just adults only. I don't agree with that either. Uh, my hope is just that, you know, there, there's obviously because it's a little bit of a larger area than cloud 17 was going to be that you're going to have perhaps more of an opportunity. If you're not interested in the party vibe to go off to the side over by the bar, it's a lot quieter over there. And then otherwise hang out in the pool. And obviously that, that pool, by the way, which is the first suspended infinity pool at sea is really, really neat. I went on the ship and I did not bring my bathing suit. Roll said you could bring one. I was like, yeah, I'm doing that. And then when I got to the hideaway, I was like, oh man, I really wish I brought my bathing suit with me because that looks amazing. Um, the one thing that is really like a more of a head scratcher or I'm not so sure about is the fact that now before the change to adults only, you could reserve day beds in the hideaway. And that kind of makes a little like, well, that's not something you could do on other Royal Green cruise ships in the Solarium, but this isn't other Royal Green cruise ships. And I think there is a danger in just constantly trying to make every single thing adhere to the old norm. There's always going to be tradition on Royal Green cruise ships, right? And that's good, but it doesn't have to be a museum or a carbon copy of the experience that you've had on other ships. That's how you get, I think, innovation and change and things that are more interesting or new or what have you. Anyway, my point is, is that I'm willing to see, wait and see what happens with the hideaway and what the vibe is like. And especially after the first revenue sailing, what kind of transpires over there. In terms of the rest of the ship, you know, we got a chance to walk through some of the other areas. You know, the, the sweet neighborhood was still being set up. A lot of Chill Island, which is the pool area, uh, is was still being set up a little bit. I will say, though, the swim-up bar, forget the hideaway, the swim-up bar uh, in Chill Island is going to be the most popular place on the pool deck. I mean, it's already the most popular place on Perfect Day Coco Key anyway, uh, at Oasis Lagoon, and it's a smaller version of that here on the pool deck, which I absolutely love that choice, by the way. But it's going to be, like, that place is going to be the new chair. Forget the chair hog. It's going to be the stool hog. That's going to be exactly where everyone's going to be over there. Lastly, I did walk through Adventure Ocean and the kids programming on there. I walked through Adventure Ocean, the teen club. Like all ships, I walked through the teen club and uh, I definitely wish I was a teenager to be able to hang out there. You know, there was an event that Royal Green had, I think in 2022, to kind of coincide with the launch of Icon of the Seas and announcing it and all that. And Michael Bailey, who's Royal Caribbean CEO, made a joke that Royal Caribbean spends millions of dollars on these teen spaces to make them as cool as possible. And of course, no matter how much they spend out of the teens, they'll all just hang out in the, in the stairwells. But, uh, I will say it's a very cool area. I like that a lot. Adventure Ocean continues to evolve. I love how much space they dedicate to the kids programming on there. You know, my kids is interesting. My oldest is now a teen is very much into the teen club. She likes that a lot. The youngest kid, I think, has some FOMO because she's not old enough for teens and she feels left out. So she doesn't want to go to Adventure Ocean because because it seems too juvenile for my older daughter. And the younger one idolizes the older one. So a lot of what she does is based on, you know how, it's just sibling stuff. Anyway, the point is, is that once again, a little lost on my kids at this age 
I wish that we had had access to this, you know, a couple of years ago when they were really both into Adventure Ocean, really because they could full advantage of it. But let me tell you this much. If you got kids who are going to Adventure Ocean, by far, when you go on a ship like Icon, like Wonder, like Odyssey, that have the newest versions of Adventure Ocean, you can really tell a difference in the children's programming available on there. It really, really makes a nice change. So there's a very brief, if you, if I will, overview of Icon of the Seas. Again, going back on board this weekend for a three-night cruise, and then I'll be back again a couple days later for the first seven-night sailing. So I'm not making any judgments yet. There's some early indications and kind of, you know, some things. It's a lot like I, I made this analogy at least a couple of times already elsewhere, but I'll say it again here. It's all like spring training in baseball. If you're familiar with that, spring training is before the season begins. You know, the the the, the, the players are kind of getting warmed up a little bit. And that's what that felt like with Icon of the Seas. And going into the real deal here with the cruises coming up, I'm very excited to see what Icon represents. But early on, I'm very impressed by it. Is it getting my favorite ship? Let's talk about that in a couple of weeks when I get back from the inaugural. But I love the direction that Royal Caribbean is going with this ship and this class of ship. And again, continuing to push the envelope, continuing to evolve the product in the same way that we went from the Sovereign class to the Voyager class and the Voyager class to the Oasis class. We're now going from the Oasis class to the Icon class. I think there's going to be a lot to like about it. And it's going to be the new baseline that we use sooner or later to judge all other ships by. But the real important question now is what really stands out about this ship what venues are the home runs? Maybe what are the misses? We'll talk about that as the first sailings commence. All right, friends, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you send me about your Royal Caribbean cruise. The first email is from Ryan. Hey, Matt. It's only on Wonder of the Seas in May. I previously sailed on Freedom and Harmony and loved both. This is my girlfriend's first cruise. I know she's anxious and excited. I was wondering if you have any tips for her to ensure she gets the most out of her first cruise. She's very excited to visit Perfect Day Coco Key. I've been once since the new makeover. We're planning to do our own snorkeling at Chill Island. If any other suggestions, I do have another question about the Royal Caribbean app chat feature. Purchase the internet package for her. But do I or other family members need the package to use the chat feature in the app? Thank you. Enjoy the podcast. You don't need to purchase an internet package to use the chat feature in the app. It's available to everybody. So just have the app installed and an account. You're good to go. In terms of you know how to maximize your first cruise, and Ryan, this is a very common question. There's a couple things you could do, certainly, and you're already on the right track, Ryan. And by the fact that you are obviously a podcast listener and doing some research, you're like a thousand steps ahead of everybody else. Number one, I would definitely look at a video tour of the ship. So your girlfriend can truly understand what's available on board. Maybe you've already done this, but we have ship tours like of Wonder of the Seas on our YouTube channel. So number one, check that out. Number two, do something you've already done for Perfect Day, and that is plan your ports. Uh, don't wing it. I think a Perfect Day actually is probably the one you could have winged it. You don't need to do it as snorkeling. That's totally fine. Um, I'm not sure where you're going on your cruise, but the snorkeling in Perfect Day is it's it's not bad it's not the best if you're going like western caribbean it's gonna be far better over there in cozumel or roatan but i digress that's not that's beside the point the point is that in any of the ports you're visiting plan out your excursions doesn't be really really important number three is to try to you know plan out as much as you can on board that isn't to say you need to plan out every minute of your cruise by any means but you know it comes to dining it comes to the spa uh you know pre-purchase pre-plan that way you have it you can ensure that you have everything kind of lined up for you 
But otherwise, I mean, really, one of my favorite things is just, you know, read past cruise compasses, right? We keep an archive of them at rollinblog.com. Um, read other people's reports. Trip reports are great. We have, an, we have a message board. And uh, in there, there's a live blog session, section. And you can go in there and read other people's experiences on Wonder. And maybe that opens your eyes to some other things that are there. That's a really cool way to kind of enhance that. So thank you, Ryan, for the email. I hope you have a great cruise with your girlfriend. Next email is from James Gregg from Kansas City. Hi, Matt. I'm excited to see you bring your upcoming tour of Icon. I'll be surprised if you don't get over a million views in the first week. Question for you regarding the select the stateroom selection for families with kids. I'm shocked by the pricing, but I still want to book Icon of the Seas. But what stateroom or staterooms would you recommend for families? Maybe I'm crazy, but I think we're already missing the mark even though they say they're targeting families. We typically follow your advice. Book two, connecting cabins. Two connecting Central Park balconies on Icon would run ten to eleven thousand dollars. On the sailings that I checked, I looked into a suite or a larger normal room. Family Ocean View stateroom with bunk has the entrance immediately next to the bunk beds for the kids. That doesn't seem to make sense if a parent wants to sneak out at night when the kids are in bed while the other one stays there. The family surfside suite is smaller, less than 300 square feet, and only seems to have a pull-out couch for the kids. My kids don't really sleep well together. An icon does not appear to have as many one or two bedroom suite options like the Oasis class. I don't mean to be crotchety, this new ship isn't any good or they don't make them like they used to kind of person, but what would you recommend for a family of four, including two elementary school age kids? Great question, James. And I've actually gone through the same exercise myself. I think that it is a, they're definitely leaning towards families, but they definitely favor families that probably are younger in the sense that they don't mind sharing the room all together, but want to have more space to do so. Essentially, this is really good if you were the kind of person who booked one cabin for all four of you and you were relegated to, you know, cabins that just had, you know, um, uh, Pullman beds that came down from the ceiling or they both slept on the couch. If that was you, then this is a huge upgrade. But if, James, if you were doing what I always told you to do, and you did, which is you get two separate rooms, it's going to seem like a downgrade because you're losing out on probably the second bathroom and the, obviously, the, the bedding situation. So your observations are totally in line. So my best advice is this. Now, price aside, of course, the strategy I would think would still be exactly what you're talking about. Getting two connecting rooms would afford you exactly the same amount of options. The only thing I could think of, though, would be the family ocean view stateroom with bunk area, your first cabin. You mentioned the idea that if your parents want to sneak out at night when the kids are in bed uh, while the other one stays there, that seems like a very minor gripe to have. It doesn't not necessarily a big enough gripe to not book the room. Um, I think your your kids will figure it out. They'll understand. It's not the end of the world. I I don't think you're lying to them and that you're saying, oh no, I'm going to bed now, and then you sneak out. I'm just worried about waking them up or what have you. That's a different story. But I would say of the issues you mentioned, I agree about the other issues you mentioned. The family ocean you stayed with bunk air would probably be your best choice given what you told me there, Jane. So that's where. That's what I would go with. And our last email is from Ryan from Colorado. My wife and I went on our first Alaska cruise in 2022 right before we had our baby. We absolutely loved it. We talked about it so much to my parents that they wanted to take all of us on an Alaska cruise next summer. Our baby, quote unquote, will be over two years old at that point. Any tips for cruising with a two-year-old, sleep arrangements, food, etc. I know we would not be able to use the pool, but it is Alaska after all. Thanks for your help and we appreciate what you do. Uh, first of all, if your two-year-old is potty trained, they can go in the pool. So keep that in mind. Don't assume you can't go in there. But for cruising with a two-year-old in Alaska, I would probably tell you, hmm. I think number one, you might lean towards an inside cabin. You know, 
one of the issues with Alaska is in the summertime, the sun really doesn't set. It doesn't get dark till like 10 o'clock and then it rises again at like, you know, 3 a.m. or something like that. So if your child is a light sleeper, an inside cabin would help with that. That's like one minor thing I would think about. Otherwise, I would plan a lot of early morning excursions with the idea that you could get back for a nap in the afternoon, as opposed to doing the opposite, like doing afternoon excursions. I think that might work the best for your kid's schedule. Number three, plan on a lot of parks, a lot of outdoor time. This is one of the early lessons we had with our kids when we went to Alaska for the first time, was that they really loved how much outdoor space there was when you were in the Mendenhall Glacier Park or really any park. Being able to, you know, explore these places and walk down the paths and see what's around the corner and climb rocks and love that stuff. So I would tell you, Ryan, to prioritize excursions that allow you a lot of outdoor walk, not like hiking, like, you know, you're going on like the side of a cliff, but like casual walks, excursions that allow you to get out there a little bit more would I think be really great and rambunctious two-year-olds a great way to burn energy for that for sure. So thank you, Ryan, for the email. Thank you, everybody, for checking out this episode of the Royal Queen Blog Podcast. If I can email, if I can answer your emails, I should say, you can always email them to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcreamblog.com, and we'll answer them on a future episode. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.